Okay, Acts chapter 1. Say what? No, we're not starting over again. We've actually worked all the way through the book of Acts. We uh, last, last Sunday finished chapter 28. But though we finished our trip this time, we'll take another trip through the book of Acts, but we finished our trip for this time through this written record that is called the Acts of the Apostles. But we've not come to the end of the book of Acts. I don't know if you noticed, but the book of Acts does not have an ending as other books of the Bible do. The book of Acts does not have a formal ending. It just stops. Some people have pointed out that the book of Acts has no formal ending because God's work has not stopped. His work through the church, through his disciples, through his followers is continuing on today. His story continues and we all have supporting roles as we live out our part in his story every day. So let's go back to the beginning of the book of Acts as we wrap up our journey through this important book of the Bible. And by looking at the beginning, it will help us know how we keep moving forward in obedience to the Lord. Amen? Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read the first eight verses to you. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you, for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Christ. We thank you for your holy and inspired word of God. We ask that you would, by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us today, illuminate this word, that your word, God, would change us and transform us, that it would wash us. Lord, that it would wash our minds and it would conform us to the very image of the Son of God. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. We ask, God, that we would be a people who love your word, who love your truth even more than our own lives. Father, we ask that you would work in us today and help us become your witnesses in the earth that bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So the book of Acts is a partial record of a story still being written. I want to read a quote from Ray Stedman. 
a now deceased Bible teacher. He said this, Now, as you know, the book of Acts is an unfinished book. It has never been completed. It suddenly ends. Luke does not even write finis at the end. He leaves it there. He never gets back to it because, of course, the Holy Spirit intended it to be unfinished. It is still being written. The book of Acts is the book of the record of the things which Jesus began both to do and teach. Is he through yet? No. He is still working. Is he not? Yes, he is. When this great book is fully completed and in glory you, re- you get to read it, what will be your part in it? Ray Steadman asked. Now, I don't know if we'll really have a completed book of Acts to read in glory one day, but I do believe this. I do believe that the book of Acts stops suddenly as it did because the acts of the church, the acts of God's people, not just his apostles. In fact, the book of Acts is really mainly about Peter and Paul, two great apostles of Jesus Christ. But it, it is really about much more than that. And so we don't know when the acts of the church will be completed, but we do know that we are living out our part right now. I think I can say with confidence that you were born at this time, put on earth at this time, for such a time as this. Just like Mordecai told Esther, Esther, you don't know if you were brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. Not the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of Persia. As Persia was getting ready to exterminate all the Jews throughout their kingdom, it was Esther's presence in the kingdom It was Esther who divinely became the queen through divine providence. And it was her time in the kingdom that resulted in the salvation of the Jews. Now, I'm not saying that we'll all have a place in history like Esther did. We probably will not. No one except those who love us and know us during our time on this earth will probably ever remember our names And even that's only for a short period of time, relatively speaking. But we, none of us know, none of us know what God will do through our lives while we're here in this time of visitation that we have been granted, that we call our life. And so Luke begins this account. So Luke, who wrote the gospel according to Luke, is the one who wrote the book of Acts. And it's Luke who penned these words to his friend Theophilus. And he says, the former account, talking, speaking of his gospel, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day which he was taken up after through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. That's where the book of Acts ends, with the ascension of Jesus to the Father and Jesus giving commands, the great, what we call the great commission to the church. Now the book of Acts picks up where that left off And we have the disciples going to Jerusalem to wait for the promise of the Father, which Luke wrote about in his gospel. The Acts of the Apostles begins with Luke, the Greek physician, the companion of the Apostle Paul, referencing his previous written record. Specifically, Luke describes it as the account made by him of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day which he was taken up. And that account continues on with the book of Acts. 
So the Acts of the Apostles is the continuation of Luke's gospel account. Acts is the continuing record of God's work through the apostles. When we read as we've gone through the book of Acts and studied through this book, we see that it is largely the work of Peter and Paul. But the book of Acts is more than just a record of the early apostles. It's more than just a record of what God did through Peter or through Paul. Acts is a record of God's work in and through the church. This is more than a record of the apostles. This is the record of the beginning of the New Testament church. In the very beginnings of the book of Acts, we see the birth of the New Testament church, not the birth of the church. The church has always existed. From the time God created Adam in the garden and put him there, the church, the people of God, has existed in history. But what we see in the in the New Testament, what we see in the book of Acts with the outpouring of the Spirit is the birth of what we call the New Testament church. So, this record of God birthing the New Testament church in the days following the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ through the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and it is the, out, the ongoing work of the Spirit in His people. So it's a record of the birth and the subsequent growth of the church beginning in Jerusalem, moving into Judea, into Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. Did that happen? Well, the answer is yes. How do we know? Well, because we're here talking about it. And we're thousands of miles from Jerusalem and literally thousands of years from that day when this was penned. So has the Great Commission been fulfilled? Well, we can say it like this, it's being fulfilled. Because people are still being born, which means there are still people who need to be born again. The kingdom of God has filled the earth, but it has not covered the earth as the waters cover the sea. And the knowledge of the glory of God is yet to be revealed to many people. So the Great Commission is not finished. It is a work ongoing which is why we say the book of Acts was never finished. It is a work still continuing because the work of the church is not finished. In verse 8, we see when, when God tells, when Jesus tells his disciples to go and to wait in Jerusalem for the outpouring of the Spirit or for the promise of the Father. When we read the book of Acts, we see that Acts follows the Great Commission. It begins in Jerusalem. The Spirit is poured out in Jerusalem. But then we see those subsequent outpourings of the Spirit in the rest of Judea, in Samaria, and then ultimately to the ends of the earth. That's not a pattern for us to follow. In other words, you receiving the Holy Spirit is not according to some pattern we read in the book of Acts. In other words... When you're born again, you are given, you receive the Holy Spirit. Whether you're filled with the Spirit now is not whether you have the gift of speaking in tongues. It's not what you do in terms of some gift that you exercise. What determines whether you're filled with the Spirit today is whether your life is surrendered and submitted to the will of the Spirit that's living in you. Are you living your life? Are you walking in surrender and submission to the Holy Spirit? That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Now, God can use you 
however he chooses. We believe, that's why we pray for people, we believe God heals today. But healing is not up to me. It's not, not determined by me or any other person. Healing ultimately is determined by the Lord. But we pray and we ask for God to heal because God tells us we can now come boldly to the throne of grace. And so we do. And we bring our needs to him, trusting that he knows how to meet those. He knows when to meet those, even, in, even when and if it's not the way we want him to. And I think if you've lived any time on this earth, you know that God does not always answer our prayers when and how we want him to. And that doesn't mean God doesn't love us. That doesn't mean we don't have enough faith. That means that God has a different plan and a different purpose. And what do we do in the face of God's different plan and different purpose, different from our will, different from our plan, different from what we purposed. What do we do in the face of that? We trust God is what we do. We submit and we surrender our will, our plan, and our purpose and say, God, it's not what I like, it's not what I want, but I trust you. That is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It's to be able to lay down our life, to lay down our will, to lay down our desires and say, God, I don't like what's happening, but I trust you. And I love you, and I know you love me. This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we should never underestimate the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. Never assume that God will not move. I think we should err and, and believe for God to move and know that he has the power to move, the ability to move, but at the end of the day, we trust how he chooses to move. So Acts is more than a record of the apostles. It's a record of the New Testament church from its inception. The unique, the unique thing about the book of Acts is that it does not record an ending. And so the work of the church is ongoing. By the way, the Spirit of God was poured out. The anointing was placed upon, remember in the Old Testament, it was, repla it was placed upon priests, upon kings, upon the anointed. Priests and kings and prophets were anointed. What does the Bible call us? The outpouring of the Spirit on all flesh now. We're called a royal priesthood. We are the proclaimers we are the ones prophesying, not creating Scripture, but proclaiming the Scripture, the Word of God that's already been revealed to us. And so when God poured out His Spirit on His people, He poured it out upon His priests and kings. The Bible says we are royal priests. This is what, what we call the priesthood of all believers. And so God has poured out His Spirit on His people and in doing that, he has given us a specific calling. We're called to be kings. We're called to be priests. We're called to be prophets who proclaim his word and his truth in the earth today. And we are to fulfill our callings with courage and with boldness, fearing no one, especially no man, fearing only the Lord who has called us. 
we should see Acts not as an end, but as a beginning in many ways. Here we are today reading and studying this record titled, The Acts of the Apostles. And as we do, as we do so, it would do us well to re- be reminded that our work is not finished. It is continuing from a long history. In some ways, our work is just getting started. Every generation enters into a work that is just getting started for them, even though the work has been ongoing, perhaps for centuries, for thousands of years, as is the case with us. And then we do our work, and as we do our work, we are doing our work on the foundation of the, of, that's been built by those who have come before us. Just as those coming after us will have a work to build upon, and that's why, that's why what we do, what we build, and how we build is so important now. We are not to live our lives as if our life ends with us. We are to live our lives knowing that those who come after us will build upon what it is that we have done here. Our work is important. We're reading more than history. We're reading the account of those that laid the foundations of our faith. That record was preserved for us because the work is ongoing. The scripture is our blueprint by which we are building the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit is the one who illuminates the word. The Holy Spirit teaches us and guides us and empowers us for the work that we are commanded to do. That is the work of building the kingdom. The word of the Lord spoken to Zerubbabel by the angel is still true for us today. In Zechariah chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, it records for us the words spoken by the angel to Zerubbabel when Zerubbabel was back in Jerusalem after the captivity. And Jerusalem was in tatters. It was destroyed from the Babylonians 70 years earlier. And now Zerubbabel is back trying to reestablish the foundation for the temple and rebuild the temple. And the angel says, Zechariah chapter 4, 6 and 7, So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. All of that is prophetic of Jesus, written thousands of years ago, written centuries before the birth of Jesus. The words there recorded for us in Zechariah speak of the coming of the capstone, the headstone, the cornerstone, Jesus Still today, it's not by might, it's not by power, it is by the Spirit of the Lord. It has always been true, it is not by our power, but by the Spirit of the living God, the power of God, that we do and accomplish the work of the kingdom. We are like Zerubbabel, building a holy habitation for the Lord. More than what we are building, it's what we ourselves are being built into by the Spirit of the Lord. This is why the book of Acts begins with Jesus commanding his disciples to go and wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. It was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh, on all, Jew and Gentile, male and female, who would become the royal priesthood of God in Jesus Christ. 
Before Jesus sent his disciples out to do the work of building the kingdom, he commanded them to wait for the outpouring of the Spirit. They had to have power to do the work before they could go out to work. And it is the same for us today. He did this so that we would not go out in our own power, in our own might, but in the power of the Spirit as we walk surrendered to the Spirit of God, filled with the Spirit. And the promise of Jesus was to build his church. And that promise was never made without the promise of the Holy Spirit. And in that promise, Jesus said these words. He says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. Jesus promised to build his church, declaring that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. We find that in Matthew 16, 18. And that is exactly what we see in the book of Acts. Jesus building his church and the gates of hell falling as the kingdom advances. Gates, in case you have not noticed, do not advance. Gates are stationary. We are the ones that are to be advancing. We advance against the gates of hell. The church is to be moving forward, always advancing against the gates of hell. The gates of hell are not just keeping things out, but the gates of hell keep things in. The gates of hell hold men captive in sin and death. The gates of the enemy hold men captive in their sin, making them believe it is pleasurable now and always until it brings forth the inevitable death and destruction that it always causes. The gates of hell are not physical structures, but the strongholds of our mind and flesh that the enemy constructs through the lust and the desires of our flesh. The gates of hell work through the sinful nature of the flesh, not crucified, and the carnal mind that's not being renewed to the truth of Jesus Christ and the word of God. Though the gates of hell are not physical structures, they can hold us in physical bondage to sin. They are stronger than any prison bars made by man. Only by the power and the grace of God through Jesus Christ can they actually be overcome and destroyed. In other words, Jesus is our only hope. Jesus came to set the captives free. John or Luke 4.18 This is what Jesus said of himself quoting the prophet Isaiah. He came to set the captives free. The Son of God was manifest to destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 3, 8. And Jesus came that we would have life and have it more abundantly or have it to the full. The words of Jesus recorded in John 10, 10. We experience our deliverance in Christ as we are set free from the gates of hell. In Christ, we are set free from sin that dominates us and holds us captive to consume us in the darkness of death. As we work through the book of Romans on Wednesday nights, this is what we looked at, that we are now set free from the domination of sin. Though the presence of sin is still all around us, sin no longer, no longer dominates us in Jesus Christ. We now have, by the grace of God, the power to overcome sin, a power that we did not have before we were in Christ. Only Jesus can set us free. And remember that sin is not just how moralistic you live your life. Sin works in us, and the proof of that is our death. 
the proof of that is that our hair is turning gray. For some of us, it has fallen out. The proof is we can't run as fast as we used to. We can't jump as high as we used to. We're not as quick. We're not as nimble. We resist old age. We want to live as long as we can, be as young as we can. And that's a good and a right desire because that's the desire of life God put in us. But we can always be certain that sin is present with us because our bodies are dying. It doesn't matter how young we are or how old we are. We are all in a state of death. It's progressing. But one day, because of Jesus Christ, because the victory that's already been won, because death has already been overcome, even though these bodies will go by way of the grave, death has no hold over us. And even these bodies, one day, this this mortality will put on immortality. This corruption will one day put on incorruption. We will be raised in glory because Jesus has already conquered. He has already overcome death. Only Jesus can set us free. Only in the power of Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead, do we overcome the gates of hell. Once we are set free, once we are liberated from sin and death, we belong to Jesus, purchased by his blood. In Christ, we are joined to him and to his army to continue the advance of the kingdom. In other words, you're not saved to live to yourself, by yourself, for yourself. You're saved by Jesus to join him and to join his glorious army that is advancing his kingdom throughout this earth. And we advance that kingdom to liberate those held by sin and death within the gates of hell. Christ does not save us and set us free to pursue our own course in life and to do our own will. We are saved and set free to be used for God's glory and to see others saved and liberated from the very bondage of hell that once held us captive. Jesus saves us so that we may experience the true and lasting joy that is only found as we walk in His will. His grace is sufficient. So we are to trust in Him and to trust in His grace. We are called to the work, but salvation is of the Lord. In other words, we're called to do the work, but we are not called to save men because we can't save anyone. We cannot save men in our work. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. The power that we possess is not our own. It's given to us, but it's not our power. It came from God. In Christ, we have the Holy Spirit, and we are entrusted with the gospel of Christ, which is the power of God to salvation for all who believe. God works through our weak vessels to show himself strong as we go through life in the power of the Spirit, proclaiming and living the gospel in His strength according to His will. And yes, God will allow us to be reminded of our weakness lest we become strong in ourselves. And that too is the grace of God so that we would never trust in ourselves, but our trust, our faith would always be in Him. We each have a testimony a salvation story or stories given to us by God's grace. God works through our testimonies. God works through our stories that are our life, the good, 
the bad and the ugly of it all. We are to never be ashamed of the gospel of our salvation. We are not to withhold telling of His goodness and of His grace. God works through our proclaiming and our living and testifying to the gospel. We are here to tell His story and to give Him glory. In Christ, we have the promise that God is working in all things, and He is working all things together for good to those who love Him and those who are called according to His purpose. That's Romans 8, 28. That's a promise that God gives His people. And if you're hearing my voice today, I would encourage you to count yourself called and to fall into His love for your good and for His glory. All is for His glory, including all the good He is working together for us in the midst of all things, both bitter and sweet. We are to taste and see that the Lord is good. That is not the scripture telling us to give Jesus a 30-day trial period to see how we like him. Jesus is not someone we're given the option to try for a while to see how we like him. Jesus is someone we are commanded to trust for life. It's not an option. You do realize the Great Commission is a commandment. We are not commanded to go and invite people to believe. We are commanded in the authority of the King of Kings to go and command people to believe. So we're not asking people to believe in us. We are commanding that people believe in Jesus. The King has authorized us, made us his ambassadors, his messengers, and he says, now you take my message, and my message is, you are commanded to trust in me. You and I can't save anyone. This is why we do the work, but, but it's not us who brings the salvation. We bring the message. It's the message that saves people. We're just the messengers. And we can't think that it's optional that we give the message from the king to those he has sent us to. And the message is, believe in me, trust in me for salvation. It's not an option. There are no other options. There are no other ways. We may not like it, and the world does not like this. The world does not like the fact that Jesus is the way instead of one of many other ways. And the world likes to give lip service to Jesus and say, well, we know Jesus is one way. Well, Jesus is your truth. No, Jesus is not my truth. Jesus is the truth, whether I see him as truth or not. Whether the world believes or not, whether you believe or not, it does not matter. Jesus is the truth, and we will either believe the truth or we will reject the truth. There's no other option, none whatsoever. So when the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good, it's not telling us to sign up for a trial option and see how it works out. This is a command. When we are called by God, He will allow us to walk through certain things, some of our own making, some not, but all according to His sovereign and divine plan. All for good and all for glory. This is why we walk by faith and not by sight. He knows and He sees what we cannot. And when we cannot see and when we do not know, we must trust Him. 
when we can see and we do know, guess what? We must trust him always in all things. The fullness and abundance of life Jesus came to provide for us is to be tasted in the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit's fruit is produced in us to be eaten and enjoyed by us, yes, but also by those around us. Whether that fruit is attractive to men or repulsive to men, God uses it for good and for glory. God desires that our life be filled with the fruit of His Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yes, for His glory, but no less for our good. God desires good for us in Christ. He desires it for us personally and also corporately. For we are the church personally and we are the church corporately. This is why the church holds the key. Who is the church? The church is God's people. The church has always been God's people. Whether it was exclusively Jewish under the old covenant or whether it is now all flesh, Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free, rich and poor, young and old, it doesn't matter. We are the church personally and corporately. And it still applies when God says, if my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray, that's when I'm going to hear, that's when I'm going to heal. So the church holds the key. The people of God hold the key to healing and deliverance in the church and in our nation. We happen to be born in America. I'm quite thankful for that, to be honest with you, because I know people in other parts of the world, and they're not nearly as fortunate and nearly as blessed as we are. I mean, we can just travel a few hundred miles to the north of us, and we could be in Canada, and we could be invaded by the police today and carried off and arrested because we're having this gathering today. It's happened to two pastors just within the last weeks. The church holds the key to continued blessing or to curse. If the witness of Christ and his truth do not arise as a bold witness in our day, in our land right now, we will see the decline continue until we will not recognize once we call the church. You hear what I'm saying? If the decline continues, we will not recognize what we once called the church in America and we will not recognize the nation we once called America. That, I want to assure you, though, will be a temporary condition. But understand this. In God's economy, temporary could be a lifetime or several lifetimes. You understand that? We think temporary. We don't even like to wait for the one minute it takes the microwave to heat our food up. We get impatient with that. And when it ticks down to about three or four seconds, we just pull the door open and get our thing out because we can't even wait 60 seconds for the microwave timer to finish. And we think temporary is 60 seconds. We better realize temporary in God's economy could be several lifetimes. But whatever happens, 
will not stand because God has promised that his church will overcome. The gates of hell will not prevail. The gospel has come to this earth. The king has been born and his kingdom will continue to grow and expand of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end. If we don't see it increasing in America, trust me, it's increasing somewhere else. And it is right now all across China, all across Africa, all across the Middle East, there is a massive move of God. Nobody wants to talk about it. The mainstream media is certainly not going to talk about it because it makes Christianity look good and it makes other things they like to promote look bad. So we just won't talk about that. But trust me, church, God is moving in the earth. Just because we see the decline in America doesn't mean God's not moving. The only reason we have a decline in America is because the church has become lazy, apathetic, and has taken things for granted that she should not take for granted. And we have become rebellious and disobedient to God. This is why we hold the key. It is the gospel of Christ, I want to be clear about this, that we are commanded to preach and teach and engage to make disciples. It is not American nationalism. It's not American populism. It's not even American patriotism that we are to be focused on as the church. There are no political or cultural saviors coming to save us. There is only one savior. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I also want to make this clear. I consider myself a patriot, but not before I consider myself a Christian. America, as much as I love it, as much as I'm thankful I live here, I'm born here, America is not my Savior. Jesus is my Savior. Just as Paul, a Jew, was not focused on the kingdom of Israel, it is the, king, it is the gospel of Christ and the kingdom of God that is to be our focus. We remain silent and we remain hidden at our own peril and the peril of the church and the peril of of this nation, not the church in the big sense. That's why we confess we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. That's not a denomination. That's the universal church across time and space, the church that existed in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, and the church that existed the day Jesus was crucified, the church that existed the day the Spirit of God was poured out, the church that has always existed. That's the church we believe in, the holy, universal church, the blood-bought, the redeemed. That's the church we believe in. That church will never go away. That church can never be defeated. But don't think that our Christendom and our Christianity, our American Christianity and the American church, like we like to refer to it as, cannot be defeated and declined. And if God allows that, it will only be to raise her up again in victory because God will keep his word. We must continue the work of the gospel. We must continue to boldly work and boldly build the kingdom, but we must do it by the spirit of the Lord in obedience to his word. We must resist the temptation to work by our own power and might according to the wisdom of this age, We work by the power of the Holy Spirit, not the spirit of this age and of this world. God's people must seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. This is true personally and corporately. For each person, 
for the church and for our nation. If we will seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all we need will be added. If we will seek the face of God in humble repentance, we, he will be found and he will save and heal us personally and corporately. The book of Acts has not concluded. God is still working today and he will continue his work until Jesus comes. He's not working alone. He has gracefully brought us into his work. He has chosen us to be his body in the earth today. We must be faithful to that call as his royal priesthood to bring attention and to bring glory and to bring awareness to our God and King. We must walk in obedience to his will and his work. We have no reason to fear. We have every reason to hope. Hope in God. He has triumphed over all of our enemies. Fear not. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Let's get ready to come to the table. You don't have to be a member of this local body, but if you count yourself a covenant member of Christ's body, of his church, you're welcome to come to the table with us today. We'll all take the elements together, and then we'll all pray together and eat and drink together. This is not a table for perfect people. Quite the contrary. This is a table set by a perfect Savior for imperfect people. People who realize that they must look to someone other than themselves for a salvation they cannot give themselves. So we look to Jesus and we remember his death and we proclaim that death even until he comes again. Welcome to Jesus. Welcome to his table. Well, let's stand and I'm going to give your charge today. The works of God are continuing. They're continuing through his church, through his people. Just as the early disciples and apostles we read about in the book of Acts, we are the body of Christ in the earth today. We are his hands, we are his feet, we are his mouth, speaking his word and doing his work. Trust him as you surrender to his work. We must not stop. We must, in fact, double down in our obedience as we continue to do the work of the kingdom. If we do stop, we do so to our own harm at the very least and perhaps far worse. If our disobedience persists, God has and God is warning us even now. God is building his church. God is advancing his kingdom through the gospel. In all his working, he never works apart from the gospel whether it is proclaimed by the tongue or written in the creation. He makes himself and he makes his gospel known to all men. Men will either choose to accept the truth in righteousness or they will suppress the truth in unrighteousness. All have that choice. They and we all are without excuse. God calls us to obedience. Salvation was very costly but it is not very complicated. Salvation requires our obedience. It requires our faith in Jesus. Just as God did with Israel, he does with us. Today, he sets before us life and death. Choose 
life. Trust and obey him. Do not hide your light. Let it shine bright and clear. Be salty and let his truth spoken in love and humility prick the hearts of men for salvation. Be the church. Be bold. Be courageous. Be seen. Be heard. So that men will have the opportunity to repent. And only the blood of Christ will be upon you and not the blood of those who were unable to hear because of our disobedience. God is good, amen? Go out and share his goodness so that men can believe even as we believe.